Many of the things that men call great today, God spurns. Man says, we've got the greatest aeroplane that will fly across the blue of the sky. And a faulty gas line brings it to its destruction. Man says, we've built the greatest battleship that has ever sailed the rough seas and a torpedo, a torpedo sinks it. Man says, I've got the gifts and the ability and the personality. I can control people. I can bring men and women together. I'm a great leader. I'm the greatest of all. And God could touch that little muscle in their chest and they drop of a heart attack. Man has accomplished great things. And in my lifetime, great things have been accomplished. In fact, I hate to reminisce. But sometimes in your weak poem, you'll think back. And I, when I was in Bible school, uh, I drove a Model T Ford pickup. Now, they weren't very big, but I delivered groceries in a Model T Ford. And uh, things have changed. I step in my car this morning and I can go across the highways at 75 or 80 miles an hour. It's an amazing change. But another great thing that has accomplished these past years, is the laser beam. And I understand that a 12-inch beam can handle over a million phone calls at one time. But coming out of that kind of a situation, our technology has helped us so that we can communicate so easily. When I was a boy, we had the telephone, you know, hanging on the wall. And you walk over and you pick up the receiver to see if anybody else is talking because it's a party line. And uh, you'll hear these ladies talking and you'll say, Susan, hang up. I've got to make a call. And then you begin to crank and then central answers. And you say, I want to talk to the McLaughlins. And she plugs you in. You begin to talk. But today I can reach in my pocket and get my cell phone and I can be anywhere. And I can talk to anybody I want to talk to just by dialing it in. And then that cell phone becomes a camera. And I push up on the lens and I can take pictures of right where I'm at. And now you can dial in your cell phone and you can call back to the office and get all the reports or all the email calls that have come in. We are living in a tremendous day of technology. I don't understand it all. In fact, I am so stupid when it comes to some of this technology. I, my television would begin to go bad, and I went down and bought a television. It was just a small one. Brought it home, and it, everything was black. And I went back to the store, and I said, it doesn't work. Oh, you need a receiver. What do you mean? I bought one. You know, I, I, I got something I didn't even know I bought. Be that as it may, technology has done a tremendous thing in our day. And man has accomplished great things. But friends, when I want to find great things, I have to turn to the Word of God. And I find in the Word of God three things that God calls great. And the first thing that God calls great is a great sin. And I turn, if you want to, in your Bible to the book of Genesis in chapter 6 and verse 5. And there in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read these words, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the face of the earth. You know, by the way, friends, you know the Bible begins with a very interesting statement. 
The Bible begins with verse 1, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No fanfare, no argument, just a simple fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then as you continue to read through the book of Genesis, you'll find some striking things. For all through this great book, you'll find the great beginnings of the world. That's the meaning of Genesis. Genesis means beginning. So in this book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, you have the beginning of plant life. You have the beginning of animal life. You have the beginning of man. You have the beginning of man's uh, operation, of sin's operation on this world. The beginning of sin. We have uh, the beginning of God's plan of salvation. Uh, the beginning of Israel, the beginning of the nations of the world, the beginning of the languages, all the great beginnings are in this book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. But then there is something striking in Genesis chapter 1. For after God said that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, as you read through that chapter 1, you'll discover all of creation. And after the first day of creation, in fact, it's found over in verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then it says, and God saw that it was good. And as you read through these first chapter, at the end of everything that was created, after every verse, it says, God saw that it was good. And then you come down to the... Last day, the day of creation, day six, and in Genesis 1, verse 31, it says these words, And God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. As I read that again this week, I thought, what else would you expect? For God is perfect. It would have to be good. But it seems that something happened for God took man, and he placed man in that perfect surroundings. And he said to man, in essence, he said, Adam, this is your garden. You can till it, live on it, eat anything you want, it, enjoy it. But I ask you for one thing. Do not eat of that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree called the knowledge of good and evil. For Adam... The moment you eat of that tree, you will die. Now, when you mention that, immediately the people of the world ask, there's a question. Why did God say that? Why didn't he want them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Certainly, there's nothing wrong, is there, of knowing good and evil. Why? The Bible encourages us to be mature enough to be able to distinguish between right and wrong. And so when that question comes, how do I answer? And I turn then to chapter 3. And there in chapter 3, I believe I have the answer. For God turns to Adam and tells him, don't eat. But Satan comes. And Satan comes and says to Eve, Go ahead and eat. You'll not die. 
God knows. Now look, if you have your Bibles open, or maybe it's on the screen, but it's on verse 5. But notice chapter 3, verse 5. God knows that in the days that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you will be as God. You will be as God. How does God know good from evil? God, God doesn't know good from evil by experience. God knows good and evil by relating things to himself. That which is consistent with his nature, that which is consistent with his character is good. That which is inconsistent, that which is inconsistent with his nature and character is evil. So God relates all things to himself. And then he knows what's good and evil. Now, God is the only one that can do that. When any man or any human being tries to relate all things to himself, he gets into trouble. Therefore, what Satan was telling Eve that day is, go ahead and eat. You will be as God. You can relate everything to yourself, just like God. Eve, you're the center. Everything, Eve, relates to you. Be as God. Now, I wish I had time to develop that this morning. But let me just say one thing in passing. Ever since that day that Satan spoke to Eve and said, Eve, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Ever since that day, Satan has been whispering in the ear of man that lie. Today, what do we hear in the world? The philosophy of the world today is you are the center of your life. This is your world. Everything relates to you. What you like to do is right. What you don't like to do is wrong. You're the center. Ladies and gentlemen and young people this morning, the world tells us today there are no absolutes. Situational ethics, if you please. And that's the philosophy that is being pumped into our minds and is taught to our young people today. And when man accepts that philosophy and that way of thinking, his mind becomes twisted. He thinks himself as God. And what's happened to our world? Our world today has become eccentric. You're out of balance. Oh, maybe I could just throw it in. Many of you know me and... And you know I, I love old cars. And uh, for years, I wanted a Model T Ford. And uh, I never had the money to buy one. And one day I decided, well, maybe I can put one together. And so I began to visit junkyards. And anybody that wanted to talk Model Ts, I would talk to them to see if they had some kind of a part in their junk pile. And I began to collect this and collect that and collect something else. And uh, finally I had the frame and I had it all cleaned and painted and I got the gas tank and, and I got the wheels. And, but what am I going to do about an engine? And uh, I was speaking out in central Nebraska and uh, uh, I learned that there was a fellow that used to attend our church when I was pastor in Keene, Nebraska. He's now living in Holdridge, a man that never married and Ran, he farmed two or three sections of land, and, and now he's up in years, and 
He's in this particular home. And so I stopped to see Vincent in Holdridge, Nebraska. And while we were visiting, he said, oh, I've got to take you out behind. And I built a little shed out behind here. And uh, uh, I've got a Model T and I've got a Model A Roadster. And I went out with him. And it, they were perfect. Better than when they came off of the floor when they were new. And I said, well, you know, Vincent, I'd sure like to, to find some place. you have any idea where I can get a motor or an engine? He stopped for a while and he said, you know, out there on the farm, I believe that in that cattle pen, barn lot, there is an engine. Now, it's probably covered up with dirt. It's been there for so long. But if you want to go out and try to find it and dig it up, you can have it. Well, that afternoon, I went to that farm, and I went out into that cattle lot, and I walked around, and sure enough, just you could just see the, the top of the engine, just a little bit of the iron, and I spaded around, and sure enough, and I dug and dug and hooked the car on the thing, and I pulled it up out of the dirt, and a fellow came by, and, and of course, the Model T engine's not very big, and both of us lifted it up and put it in my trunk, and I came home. Do you know, by the way, folks, that engine turned over? After it set in that old, now it was rusty, and when I take the heads off and there's big rust spots on it, but you know, what happened was is that I learned something trying to put that old T together. On the fly leaf of an engine, of a Model T, they had little magnets, and they placed these magnets every so many inches all the way around that, that flywheel. So when that engine was cranked and that engine began to turn and that flywheel spins around, what does it do? Those magnets generate electricity or voltage and it goes into a magneto. And so I can reach down and I can have a headlight because of the magneto. But then I learned something. You know, every once in a while, the magnets on that flywheel would slip off. And two or three of them are gone. And all of a sudden, you can't hardly sit in the car. It's out of balance. It's eccentric. It's just jumping around. And this is exactly what's happening in our world today. We have pushed God to one side. And our world has become unbalanced. The whole world revolves around us. Why, man today is saying... Let's throw off the old restraints. Read it in Psalm chapter 2. And so the people today say, we don't need marriage any longer. After all, what is marriage? It's only a slip of paper. That's part of the devil's lie. You become God. Do your own thing. We are defying God and deifying man. But then someone comes up and says, well, Brother Paul, don't you realize that 43% of the people said this? And 37% of the people said that? Oh, I would like to know who the people they call they. I don't know who they are, but they set themselves up as God and they say, and I, friends, this morning, when are we ever going to stand to our feet and say, Thus saith the Lord. It's what God counts. 
when he speaks. But when man becomes the center, what's the result? Did you read your paper last night? Do you realize that every 10 to 15 seconds, three Americans are murdered or robbed or raped or assaulted? Every 10 to 15 seconds. Man is the center. Do your own thing. In Maryland, they had a law that the boys and girls in their schools during recess or the lunch period could read any book they wanted to, any pamphlet they wanted to, any piece of paper they wanted to. And there was a 13-year-old girl during her lunch hour sitting reading her Bible. And the principal came and said, don't you ever read the Bible in the school premises again or you'll be reprimanded. You've heard the news the last week. Seems like every day it comes on with that 17-year-old girl with her dog that was such a pet, and it went missing. And then one day she received a box beautifully wrapped as a present. And when the girl unwrapped that box and opened the lid, there was her dog's head. What's happening in our world? Well, man has taken the truth of God and changed it into a lie. And that is exactly what the Bible tells us over in the book of Romans. In fact, if you would listen carefully, let me read it to you. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 1. As they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, full of envy, despiteful, proud. Doesn't that give you a a little insight of what's happening in our world today? But keep on reading. Disobedient to parents, without misunderstanding, without natural affection, unmerciful. No wonder God looks over the battlements of heaven and he said, The wickedness of man is great on the face of the earth. But we come to a second because of that. The thing that God calls great, and that is a great separation. Over in the book of Luke, you've heard messages after messages, I am sure, from the 16th chapter. But Jesus was speaking to the crowd that had gathered around him. And as he was speaking and the crowd was listening, back there with the Pharisees, quote, the religious people, and they begin to chide him. And Jesus stopped. And I wonder if he didn't point his finger and said to those people, you are justifying yourselves. What was he saying? Simply that they were rationalizing and they were relating everything to themselves. <coughs> and then what does God do? The Lord Jesus said, let me give you an illustration. Let me show you what happens going down that path. And then he begins to give them these words. In beginning at verse 19, Luke 16:19. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes 
being in torment. Let me pause just a moment. Let me warn you that being rich is not wrong. I believe with all of my heart that God has given some men and women the gift of making money. The Bible tells us it's not the money. It's the love of money is the root of evil. And here was a wealthy man who could look on the suffering of the world and he could feel no grief, no pity, no compassion. And by the way, folks, do you realize that every one of us up in this auditorium this morning, we're rich? No, we're not rich as we measure ourselves by some billionaire. But when you begin to measure yourself by the standards of the world, we're rich. So we can identify with this man. And what does it say? Verse 23. In hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus with him, he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham answered, Son, remember, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, a great separation. Friends, now we begin to understand what it meant when the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. My dear people, God is love. But you know, love has two sides. If you're going to have love and you're going to be just, there has to be punishment. We've been studying in our small group Bible studies on Wednesday mornings, G.I. Packer's book on knowing God. The other day, I underlined and I've copied it out because it's a tremendous statement. Will you listen as I read from his pen? He said the decisive act of judgment upon the lost is the judgment which they pass upon themselves by rejecting the light that comes to them in and through Jesus Christ. There is two sides. God is love. He so loved that he gave. But we must receive that love or there is judgment. And the Bible says to those who believe not, cast them into outer darkness. You know, friends, hell is not just 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. Hell is eternity. When I was conceived, I begin to live. And I'll never die. After this life is judgment. Outer darkness, where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, I had an experience, and I think I shared it with you once before, and if I did, forgive me. But let me share it. I've just never forgotten it. It stays in my mind. For I was speaking in Aurora, Missouri. That's just about ten miles outside of Springfield. And uh, one morning... The pastor said to me, have you uh, ever gone down into one of these caves that they advertise on the highways? And I said, no, I never have. Well, he said, just outside of Springfield here is the fantastic cave. 
And it really is fantastic. And wouldn't you like to see it? And I said, well, sure, that's fine. So one morning, he and his wife and Dorothy and I, we went over to that fantastic cave. Now, it wasn't what I expected. I expected to walk down into a cave. But it wasn't that way at all. They had a trailer that was something like, on the farm, a hay rack. And on that rack or that wagon, there were two benches and the two facing each other. And that rack was pulled by a jeep. And the guide in the jeep had a little genie and he could turn the lights on and turn the lights off. And so we paid our fare and and that wagon would hold about 10 or 15 people, maybe 20. And you sat facing each other. And so after we all got on and everything was ready, he began to pull us into this cave. And as we went along, the way they had their lights with their different colors, and they were all set so that it was, could I invented a, a word? It was fantabulous. It was just fantastic. And uh, I was just all eyes. It was just something to behold. And we came along slowly, and he was explaining and, and uh, giving us a, a, a guide's tour. And pretty soon we came into a large opening. And he stopped the jeep and he said, this opening we use once in a while for a musical concert. It's got perfect acoustics. And the people stand for 15 minutes or half an hour as the musicians perform. But he said, why don't you get out and walk around? So we got off of the thing and we walked around and looking at all the sights and it was something. And pretty soon he said, well, we better get going. And so we all got back on, on that wagon and he started up and all of a sudden he stopped and he, he turned around and he looked at us and he said, would all of you folks like to see what it's like to be in darkness? Well, immediately mine was, yes, let's see what it's like to be in darkness. Well, he said, I'll show you what it's like to be in darkness. So he got off of his Jeep and he came back by the wagon. And he looked up and he said, now, will everybody orientate yourself? And I thought to myself, why should I? I'm sitting down. What's the big deal? Turn off the light. You know? And I sat there and everybody was, I don't know, I wasn't paying any attention. Okay, he said, I'm going to turn the lights off. And he pushed the genie and that light went off. And I tell you, it was dark. And I reached up to see with my hand and I... I couldn't even see my hand, and I kept waving my hand, and I couldn't see nothing. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt like in that darkness, I began to leave the seat. I felt like I was going to float, and I grabbed a hold of the bench. And as I grabbed a hold of the bench, there was a little five or six or seven-year-old little girl sitting with her parents just across from me right there. And just as I grabbed for my seat, she said, Mommy! The lights went on. Why, we were like a bunch of owls. Our eyes were as big as could be. And then I begin to think, and I've never, never left me. Outer darkness. Separation from God. We think we're going to enjoy our friends. You can't even see them. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as you're there, maybe having the feeling of floating. And you hear the screams in the darkness. If I only had. 
Or perhaps you hear someone say, almost, but lost. Or maybe someone else is screaming, oh, if I just had a drop of water. Oh, if I could only have just one more night on the town. And the crying that you hear. Separation from God. Folks, this is serious business. But I'm so glad I don't have to stop here. For the Bible says, God so loved that he gave his son to die for us. And Jesus went to the cross and he paid sin's penalty, which is death. And when we come to Calvary and we admit we have sinned, we are forgiven. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This all brings us to the third great thing that God calls great, a great salvation. And I turn to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape? Escape what? Escape the separation from God. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And friends, I've learned that that word so means original. Nothing can match it. It's so great. Why is this salvation so great? Well, first of all, it affects my past. If you're like me and I believe with all of my heart that there's not one of you in this auditorium this morning would like your past put up on the screen so everyone can see your life. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Then shall all things be brought to the light. Oh, how we think today we can cover up what we're doing. No one will know my thoughts. No one will know the kind of material I read or the books that I buy or the magazines I skimp through. No one knows what I'm doing when no one is looking. But my friend, God knows. And someday all things will be brought into light. And the Bible says this is a faithful saying. And as we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that word cleanse. That wipes the slate clean. Calvary covers it all. My past with its sin and stain. My guilt and despair. Jesus took on him there. Calvary covers it all. It's a great salvation because it affects my past, but it also affects my present. Just as Calvary saves me from the penalty of sin, right now it saves me from the power of sin. Paul writes, thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May I be very personal just for a moment? Let me meddle. Let me, let me just bring it to your attention. My friend, if you're going around 
with dirty habits since you claim to be Jesus Christ's son or saved by the blood. And if you're still hanging on to those dirty habits, you're insulting the power of God. If your life has not been changed since you received Christ as Savior, you had better take a good look at yourself. You may have made a decision one time or another. But the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a total new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. And that old hymn goes on to that second verse. Calvary breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foul of us clean. His blood avail for me. It's a great salvation. It affects my past. It affects my present. But oh, I like this. It also affects my future. And because Christ died for our sin and rose again, I can say, oh, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I wish I could sing, and if I could, I would say, beyond the sunset, oh, blissful morning, when with our Savior heaven just begun, earth's toiling ended, oh, glorious dawning, Beyond the sunset, when day is done. I was standing in the living room of my parents a few years ago. And uh, Albert Peterson, he had traveled with Billy Sunday for many, many years. A friend of our family. And uh, Big Albert came over to say hello to me because he knew I'd come home. And uh, when he came in and I and Albert were standing there in the living room and and uh, he put his arm around me, and, and of course, he's a big man, and so I had to look up to him. And, and he looked down to me, and he said, Paul, let me tell you what happened at Billy Sunday's death. And he told how that the, the day of the funeral, the casket was there, and he said a number of men were standing as more or less honorary pallbearers standing by that casket. And he said... Hundreds of people filed by, filed by. And he said, as I was standing there right by his head, uh, here comes a gentleman. He was well-dressed, a businessman. And he came to that casket and he looked down. And as he looked there for a little bit, he said, the tears begin to run across his cheeks and, and drop upon the casket. And then he said, I heard him kind of whisper. And he said, thanks, Billy, for telling me about Jesus. I was an alcoholic. My home was broken. I was a bum. But Jesus saved me. I have my home. I have my business. God's been good to me. Thanks, Billy, for telling me about Jesus. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. He walked on. Many others walked by. And then Albert said, here comes a very attractive lady. She walks up to that casket and she stands there for a while. And pretty soon she too began to weep. And then she said, thanks, Billy, for telling me the story of God's love. 
I had sold myself out. My virtue was gone. Drink had gotten a hold of me. But Jesus saved me. Thanks, Billy, for telling me about Jesus' love. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. What a great salvation that Christ comes and he cancels the past and he makes us a new creature in Christ. And my friends, this morning, this is the record that God had given to us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. For as many as received him, to them gave you the right to become a child of God, even to those who believe on his name. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And I close. The story is told, and maybe you've read it, but it happened some years ago when many were coming from the old country. America was being settled. And this young couple came from the old country. They were hard workers. They were honest. But they had no education and they had no chance of securing an education. They couldn't read or write. But God in his love granted them with a son. And that little boy grew up. They showered their love upon him. They saw that he had an education. And he became very brilliant in the schools. But he began to run with the wrong crowd. And he paid no attention. And he wouldn't listen to the advice of his parents. And he kept going down that road. Until finally he committed a crime. Was arrested. The judge sentenced him to so many years in Sing Sing prison. And as he sat in the cell in Sing Sing. All alone he began to think how he rebelled against his parents. Against the teaching that he had been taught. He wanted to ask his parents for forgiveness. He knew he had broken their hearts, but he didn't know how to contact them. They can't read or write, so if he wrote them, they wouldn't understand. And so the days went into months and the months into years until finally it came to the time when the warden called him in and he said, in such and such a day, you'll be released. You've paid the penalty. He went back to his cell and he thought, oh, I want to go home. But will my parents forgive me? Can I go home? What can I do? How can I let them know? And he decided he would write a letter. Hoping that someone would read the letter to his parents. And he sat down and he wrote something like this. Dear mom and dad, I've broken your heart. I've paid for my crime. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I want to come home. And I remember as a boy, in our backyard, there was an old apple tree. You could see that tree from the railroad tracks that goes beyond the house. And if you'll forgive me, and I can come home, Mom, would you tire a rag? in that old tree so that I can see it. If I see that rag, I'll get off and I'll come back home and I'll never hurt you again. But if I don't see the rag, I'll keep on going and I'll never see you. 
They received the letter. They looked at it. They saw their name on the top left-hand corner. They could read their own name. It was their son. But what does it say? The old gentleman thought, I'll run across the yard. And she went across to the neighbor lady. And as he knocked, she answered the door. And he said, we've got a letter from our son. Will you come over and read it to us? And she walked across the yard. with, And as they went into their living room, the old couple stood there with their holding hands. And as she opened it, she said, do you really want me to read it? He said, yes. Tell us what it says. It's from our boy. She began to read, and she read just what I told you. And then she noticed that the old couple were standing there. The tears were dropping onto the floor. She just slipped out. Sometime later, she noticed that the old gentleman had gone out to the shed, and he took the ladder. He brought the ladder and he put it up into the old tree. Then she saw Mother. She came out of the house with a bed sheet over her arm. And she stood at the base of that ladder. And she tore off a strip and she handed it to the old man. And he tied it to a limb of that tree. And she tore off another and he tied it. Until literally that tree was covered with rags. The day came. The boy boarded that train, and as he got closer and closer to his hometown, he became nervous. He sat there with his head in his hands. There were tears. And the one sitting next to him said, what's the matter? You're so nervous, and why are you weeping? And he told the stranger the story. And he said, just as we come into that little town where I was raised, there's a bend. When we make that bend to my left, there was our old house. And I wonder if my parents have forgiven me. Would there be a rag tied in that tree? And as they got closer and closer, the gentleman sitting next realized how nervous he was. He said, look, son, you don't need to look. I'll look for you. And so that gentleman kept watching. And as they came around the bend, He saw that tree that was literally covered with rags. And he said, son, son, look, look. The boy looked up and through his tears, he saw that tree so covered with rags. And he got off and he ran home. Dad and mom had forgiven him. When I read this story, I thought, folks, there's a tree called Calvary. And on that tree hangs the blessed son of the Lord, Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that he was willing to give his son to die for my sin. And in that tree, God is saying to you and to me, I forgive. Come home. Come home. Our Father. It's a great salvation that we are in. Hardly know how to how to express it in words when you were willing to give your own son to die for me. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. 
And this morning, as we bow before you, we realize our past is blotted with sin, but Calvary covers it all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And Father, right now, speak to our hearts. And just for a moment with our heads bowed, my dear people, could I ask you very personally, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? On your way home and you'd meet with an accident and your life is snuffed out. And if you don't have Christ as Savior, cast him in outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But right now, sitting right where you are, you can ask the Lord Jesus to forgive. And I ask you, would you do it? I'm not going to ask you to do anything publicly right now. I'm just asking, would you do it in your own way? Maybe you're here and you've made a decision for Christ sometime or another, but you're still hanging on to the parts of the world. Would you be willing to say, oh, God, give me victory? Give me victory. Would you do it? Father, as we bow before you this morning, hear the prayer and answer the need. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.